Uniting the races with truth instead of dividing them with lies. We're also rebuilding the family by rebuilding the man. I am Jesse Lee Peterson. Good morning. Welcome to the show. Hi, y'all. You can get involved by calling 888-7753-888-77-JESSE. I am Jesse Lee Peterson. My biblical question for this week, my biblical question, what ties you to your parents? What ties, T-I-E-S, What ties you to your parents? Amazing question, right? We have every way that you can watch and support the show listed on jessaleepeterson.com slash show. jessaleepeterson.com slash show. And you can also listen to the show if you're busy and you're not able to watch it live right now. You podcast later, of course. But you can be listening no matter what you're doing. It doesn't matter what you're doing. You're getting a job at the airport, but you're not qualified, but you're getting it because you're black and female. Whatever you're doing, you can be listening to the show by calling the listen line on your iPhone or iPad at 641-793-1500. 641-793-1500. Follow us on social media. Social media. Uh, JLP Talk on X and Jesse Lee Peterson on Instagram. We're on rumble.com slash Jesse Lee Peterson. And Cozy, C-O-Z-Y dot TV. Cozy, C-O-Z-Y dot tv cozy c-o-z-y dot tv amazing huh uh light follow ring the bell y'all know what to do y'all know what to do and to donate and have your comments read out loud to donate and have your comment read out loud, go to buymeacoffee.com slash JLP Talk or rebuildingdemand.com. All right? It's Friday. And some of you are new. You might not know. But Fridays, um, get it off your chest days. Get it off your chest Friday. And whatever is on your mind, express your self Friday. You Tom like a mug. You need to go to go to go to go and get yourself bleached because everything you say about black people and you sitting up there looking like a tar baby. Uh, it might sound like a semantics argument, but he's a great alien. Ah! I wonder if he's been smoking pot. But that marriage comes before your children. It's about me. Hey, daddy's home and all the kids would run to the front door and they'd all clamor on dad. Makes him feel amazing. They're so happy to see him. Dad, 
Mom is crazy. And I'm at the back of the line. And we changed that to him coming home and saying, where's mom? Mom gets my first kiss. Said that it's time for uncomfortable conversations. Really, when it comes down to it, it's it's the white race. It's the white community that's going to have to have the open, difficult conversations. Has dad gone crazy? A certain senator that is now off the market. She said yes. Mindy, thank you for making me the luckiest man in the world. Do we know much about her? Um, Yeah, she's a divorcee. She has three kids, and um, she's an interior designer. Amazing. So, 888-7753-773. I have a guest with me for a while here, and I will get to your calls and super chat. Very interesting guest. Joel Gibbert. And uh, Joel Gibbert is a filmmaker, investigative journalist, political commentator. And in his film and book called Michelle Obama 2024, you may have seen it. Michelle Obama 2024, Joel does a deep dive into the life of the most popular woman in America. Here is a sample of it from Joel Gibbert. Watch this. Move all those things out of my way. They could run Michelle Obama. And if they do... Welcome, Michelle Obama! Michelle Obama is the most popular woman in America. You know I hate politics. You can forget about the disclaimer. I'm convinced that Michelle Obama is running for president in 2024. Systemic racism, pepper spray, and rubber bullets on peaceful protesters. It turns out Michelle was never a part of the black community. In that household, there was fear. You talk like a white girl. You could get your butt kicked if you talk like a white girl. The only person doing white flight in the 1970s was Michelle Robinson. Michelle was no victim of racism. In fact, Michelle has been running from the black community her whole life. Hyde Park is the best neighborhood. And Michelle sold out the black community working for the mayor of Chicago. We're working to change the future of this nation. We need you. Are you in? Fundamentally transforming the United States of America. And to transform America, Michelle plans to rule America come Election Day 2024. Amazing. That's amazing. So you believe that Michelle... Oh, welcome, by the way. You believe that Michelle will be running for president? I I do, and I uh, base that on what I saw Michelle doing uh, once uh, Trump got into office. Michelle started copying everything Barack had done before he ran for president. Barack had a voter registration organization called Project Vote in Chicago. That's how he got his street cred. Michelle started something called When We All Vote and got 26 million bucks from George Soros for this voter registration group. Barack wrote two autobiographies, uh, Dreams from My Father and the audacity of hope. Sure enough, Michelle went and wrote two autobiographies, Becoming, big national bestseller, and The uh, Light We Carry. They're both also on Netflix as movies. And then, uh, of course, Barack was the keynote speaker who introduced Joe Biden, I'm sorry, introduced John Kerry at the 2004 Democrat convention. Sure enough, Michelle was the keynote speaker that introduced uh, Joe Biden. So I'm seeing her copying all the things Barack did, keeping a very high profile, and she's very political. Just last week or so, she started talking about how afraid she is if uh, Trump wins. And, <laughs> I saw that. You know, so uh, I think uh, you know Michelle's the best loved Democrat. Uh, she's the most popular person in the country, if not the world. She has a huge hundred million people on her social media, and I think she's positioned herself to to take over for Biden. And why do they love her so much when she's so evil? Well, she got fifteen years of all positive publicity since she came on the scene in two thousand eight. Uh, The media gave her hundreds of fawning interviews, hundreds of magazine covers, fashion covers. Didn't start out so great. You might remember in 2008, she was running around the country promoting Barack's candidacy, 
and she was very nasty anti-American yeah. speeches. Yeah. You can't pay your mortgage. Don't get sick in this country. Uh, you can't afford food. You can't afford child care. Very anti-American speeches. And she kind of went over the top one night and said, well, uh, Barack won a primary, so for the first time in my life, I'm proud of my country. Now, she said a lot worse things than that, but the media picked up on that, and that's when the Obama campaign told her, look, people are paying attention to you now. We could lose. People are going to hate you like they hate Hillary. And so she took a step back and got a speechwriter the next night, and she said, oh, I hate politics. I just want to be the mom in chief. So she's kind of taken a step back and pretended to be this kind of non-political person. So that's her biggest political strength. She can come on the scene and say, well, you know, I had a great life, and, but I just want to bring us all back together. Remember how much you love the Obama years. We didn't have any scandals. So she is a very beloved figure because of the 15 years of all positive media coverage. And so who love her? Is it just the blacks and the liberals? Because everybody else, Republican or conservative, understand what she's about, right? Correct. But she has this – she's a pop culture phenomenon. I mean uh, I was at the YouTube theater here in Los Angeles uh, back in December when she did this interview with Oprah that they filmed for HBO. I went two hours early thinking I'd just talk to a couple people and relax. I was there two hours early. Everyone had a ticket, but they were lined up for miles. She's so popular. She can fill up stadiums. So, uh, really? Yeah. Oh, yeah. She's, so she's appealed. If you look at her Twitter, she's been appealing to the kind of the Oprah crowd, suburban women, minorities. Oh. She's been working that audience for years trying to develop that political support. Um, but what about that female uh, Camilla Harris, the so-called vice president? Yeah. How would they skip over her? She's black. How would they skip over her and pick Michelle? There's a couple of reasons. Number one, uh, Kamala is not a popular person. She didn't even make it to the first primary in Iowa you know, four years ago. I don't think the black community even really considers her to be black. She's not <laughs> African-American. Her mother's from India. Her father's from Jamaica. And Kamala grew up in Canada, so she has no common experiences with the black community. I don't think there's very much attachment to her. And so I think just like when Hillary ran for president uh, and Joe Biden was kind of looked over completely, I don't think anyone is going to miss or even think about Kamala Harris if Michelle says she's running for president. And I think it's going to go down in the early summer, late spring. Uh, Biden will be told not to run or he'll say any number of excuses health. He's got a pardon hunter. He's being impeached by the House. He thinks the country will be better with someone else. And the way it works is uh, even though he has all the delegates, the delegates now become irrelevant. If a candidate drops out or dies after he gets the delegates, the vote goes to the Democrat National Committee, 200 people. They're the ones that vote and the delegates are done. So clearly they'll turn to Michelle who has all the popularity and can raise $100 million in two weeks. Does uh, Camilla Harris know that she's not important? Does she know she's not popular or does she think she is? I think she's very aware, having dropped out of the, <laughs> having dropped out of the Democrat uh, election before the first primary in Iowa, and she sees the polls. She knows that she has very little public support. She really can't give a speech without sounding silly. <laughs> I know. So I don't, kick, 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 kick. Yeah, I don't think she's going to complain too much. Really? Yeah. But the blacks, the blacks don't have sense enough to know that Camilla is not black. All they see is a black face, and they don't know how to look beyond that. And it's like the same thing with Barack Obama, the former Messiah. They thought he was black, and he's half white and black, and they just accepted him as being black. Well, let me, let me update you, remind you on that. When Barack came on the scene in 2008, White people thought he was black, and they were like, oh, a black president, that's a yeah. great idea. Let's, we support him because we would like to have a black president. But the black people weren't actually fooled. They said, wait a minute, this guy's from a white family. He grew up in Hawaii and Indonesia. He grew up with his white grandparents with a white mother. They did not initially accept him as one of them, and it took a lot of work from Michelle. You can watch in my movie. Uh, by the way, you go to michelleobama24.com. You can see the trailer and all the info. But it took a lot of work from Michelle uh, going to Iowa and speaking to black audiences to try to convince black voters that Obama was even black. So it took a lot of work. And Michelle would speak to these uh, black audiences. She'd put on a phony urban accent. Uh, if a white person did that, you'd get arrested for a hate crime. Yeah. But Michelle put on a phony accent 
and pretended to be kind of one of these ordinary black folks to try to get them to identify with her and with Barack. But, um, uh, Hillary did the same thing. Quickly, Hillary, yeah. I don't feel no ways turned. Right. I feel like going on. Michelle, you say that Michelle pretended uh, to be a poor black girl growing up on the south side of Chicago. When it was a totally different story. Correct. And that's what I do. I actually go to Chicago and I talk to three of Michelle's boyfriends, her elementary school teachers and classmates, principals, even her, uh, her mother and her friends. So a completely different picture emerges. Michelle is not from the south side of Chicago. She's from South Shore, which was an upper class middle upper class community on Lake Michigan. Jesse Jackson, also from South Shore. He never said he's from the south side. So Michelle was actually, uh, she talks about this openly even in her book about she was not accepted by the black kids. They considered her to be white. They called her an Oreo, which is a racial insult. It means you're black on the outside, but you're really white on the inside. That's how I am. And she had no... I'm white on the inside, black on the inside. You're an Oreo. So you know Michelle. But Michelle had no black friends, and she talked about, hey, they would beat her up for... Uh, talking white and acting white. She refused to go to schools. They had a beautiful South Shore High School, one block from their house, all black, nice school, but it was all black. Their parents sent them to a Catholic school, her brother, even though they weren't Catholic, all white. Michelle went to a a magnet school an hour and a half away. They refused to study with black kids. So (laughs) Michelle Obama was the black face of white flight in the 70s. She refused to study with other blacks. But Michelle lies and tries to put together this narrative that, oh, I'm just one of these ordinary black folks. I suffered from discrimination growing (laughs) up to manipulate the black community for political support. But it's Michelle who was never part of the black community, and she was afraid of them. She even says – I got her on tape in her tour. She said she was afraid to go out of her house because they would beat her up. And I track how Michelle in her professional career – got her revenge on the black community as in Chicago, working for the mayor of Chicago. She was the assistant planning commissioner, and she kicked 20,000 black people out of the projects at Cabrini-Green, made them homeless because the Democrat donor developers like Tony Resco wanted the land near downtown to develop condos. So Michelle always filled the jobs of the white liberals when they had a problem with black people, they couldn't hire a white person to kick 20,000 blacks out of their homes. Michelle would fill that job. As a black person, she would kick them out and say, it's going to be good for you. You're better off being homeless. Having proven <laughs> she could do the dirty work, the University of Chicago Medical Center hired Michelle because they were having a problem with the Southsiders were coming to their emergency room and getting medical care and didn't have good insurance. So Michelle's job was for the Southside Health Collaborative. They hired Michelle to put them in these vans, and she would dump them back on the Southside in these crappy clinics in strip malls. And Michelle said, it's going to be good for you. It's better for you if I dump you in these crappy clinics instead of getting good health care. Michelle made hundreds of thousands of dollars exploiting the black community in her career, abusing them. But as a politician, she tries to fake the story that, oh, I'm just one of you ordinary black folks and I suffered from discrimination, too. Give me the political power. Amazing. Why is it so easy for the liberals, both black and white, to make a fool of the blacks? They should just switch roles and, and just tell the blacks that they could be white one day and be black the next day and the blacks just fall for it. Why are blacks you know, so dumb? I, I think they're getting smarter over time. I really do. And the, but why, the, the worst, why do you think that? Go ahead. Why do you think that? Well, I think the worst thing that they view, the black community, the worst thing for them is a sellout. When someone sells them out like Michelle Obama did. She sold them out to the white liberals to take away their homes and kick them out of their access to health care. And I think the trend has been that they're on to it. If you see the polls, Trump is trending with very strong black support, especially black males. Yeah. So I think it's changed over time. I don't think they're, they're, they're total suckers just because someone is black anymore. I think they're going to look a little deeper. Now, Michelle Obama, because she's so popular, she does achieve that for the white liberal establishment, yeah. the Democrats, because she's so popular. Oh, Michelle Obama, we love her. And she talks about nostalgia. Remember how much you love the Obama years. <laughs> so she's a great tool to trick everybody into thinking that she has their interests at heart, but she she never had the interests of the black community at heart. Yeah. I remember when they left the White House, they moved into uh, Washington, D.C. Right. They put a, a fence around their home uh, to protect them, but they refused to put a, a wall around the borders. 
right. to protect the American people. They live on Martha Vineyard, I'm so in Hawaii. They'll live in high on the hog. But yet the blacks are still struggling, at least most of them, and they still support her. It doesn't make sense to me. Well, uh, the hypocrisy is, is just atrocious, especially with the Obamas. The, yeah. the first thing they did when they got out of the White House, they bought a home in Martha's Vineyard, the bastion of rich white liberals. And they live right there on the beach, yeah. meaning they're climate deniers. They, they believe that uh, the climate change must be a hoax if you buy a house right on the ocean. So the hypocrisy is just appalling. And I think and hope, especially with this film, that when you see the real Michelle Obama, her real story as someone that exploited the black community her whole life, never had any black friends, and how she tries to fool them politically using a phony urban accent. Another thing she uses is her fashion, which we show that in the film. Michelle was actually going to the Miracle Mile in Chicago. She had all the beautiful clothes from the designers like Ikram Goldman and Maria Pinto. She had a celebrity hairdresser from age 18. So when, when Barack was U.S. senator, before he ran for president, Michelle was on the international best dress list for Vanity Fair, top 25 international best dress list. Wow. So she's this huge fashionista. Now, she shows up in 2008 on the campaign trail for Barack, and she dresses as a homeless person. <laughs> she doesn't comb her hair. She wears an old sweater and tries to uh, whatever she imagined a black housewife looked like in the South in the 50s. That's how she tries to dress to trick people. And she doesn't say, hey, I'm another Harvard lawyer like my husband, and I buy clothes on the Miracle Mile. No, she shows up pretending to be some black housewife from, from some TV show she saw growing up. So she's very manipulative. She uses fashion, her speech, and these fake stories of discrimination. One of them that I expose in the film is – She's been talking about for years, and she even told Gail King the other uh, last year, she said when she applied to Princeton, her high school counselor at her magnet school racially profiled her and said, well, you're black applying to Princeton. Maybe you're stretching, quote, unquote, from Michelle. <laughs> I found out she, – no, she never said what color the, 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 the counselor was and never gave her name. Sure enough, I found out her high school counselor was a black woman named Nan King who was also an assistant principal, church-going woman. And there's no way she racially profiled her. The worst thing she could have said is, Michelle, your test scores are so low, you might want to apply to some backups in case Princeton, you don't get accepted. That's the worst thing she could have said. She didn't racially profile. So Michelle is all about faking uh, a connection to the black community that she never had any connection to. That's amazing. You know, back to Obama, um, you said there are blacks who recognize that he was black and white because of it. But I never heard, for the most part, blacks refer to the father messiah as white they always always heard that he was black well and, and they expected him to do something for them if he became president right and once he did he did nothing for them correct, whatever correct. that was they were expecting and they got mad at him because he was black and he did nothing for the black people well they felt betrayed because that's what he sold it on i mean oh, o- I obama prepared for years to Being the Democrat Party and to be successful, you need to have that niche. And his niche was uh, being looking African-American, at least, was to have that core voting group. Now, he wrote his best-selling autobiography, Dreams from My Father. Now, he grew up in Indonesia and Hawaii, a biracial state uh, where the the whites are a small minority there. And, for instance, in his autobiography, he tries to make it out like similar to Michelle, that he's been some victim of discrimination to build street cred with the black community. So he says things like he was on the basketball team at high school, but the coach wouldn't let him play because he was black. (laughs) Oh, that sounds terrible. Well, guess what? Uh, I talked to Obama's best friend growing up in high school, Keith Kakagawa, and he said Barack was on the team because he was relatively tall compared to the Hawaiians, but he couldn't shoot or rebound. And that's why he didn't start. So The white yeah. side of him couldn't jump. It couldn't jump, couldn't <laughs> shoot. So Obama has used race to manipulate black voters, as you said, into thinking that he has their interests at heart. When the Obamas got in the White House, of course, Michelle went back to being a big fashionista. Obama had all whites in his cabinet. He did nothing for the black community. He brought in illegals, and he pursued this radical socialist policy that nobody voted for. When What's wrong with the blacks? They keep believing in 2024 now. They still believe that they're being discriminated against. They're being held back because of color and all that. And so 
whenever liberals want to win an election or something like that, they always fall back on that, that and tell the blacks, well, I'm going to do it for you because you're being discriminated while they're just getting whatever they want in life. Why do the blacks still fall for it? I'm not getting that in 2024. Well, it's, it's a use of emotion. It's a use of emotion. You see Nikki Haley doing that on the Republican side. Yes. She says things like the other day she said uh, in South Carolina, it was the, I grew up in the deep south, and every day people picked on me growing up because of the color of my skin. Now, I grew up in East Tennessee in the same era, uh, same time frame. And in my school, there were black kids, there were uh, Filipinos and Koreans. Nobody picked on them ever. Southerners are very respectful and yeah. very, very traditional, respectful, polite people. Yep. They would never have picked on Nikki Haley every day <laughs> of her life. So, but, so she's looking to that narrative of creating an emotional connection through suffering. Same thing that Michelle did. I was my, – my high school – Guidance counselor racially profiled me. I was held back in life because of my skin color. It's a way of uh, manipulating emotion yeah. to prevent people from using common sense. That's a very good point, man. You're absolutely right. Yeah. You're, are you white? Am I white? Do I look white? You look Jewish white. I am Jewish white. you Jewish? Yeah. And you're white? And I'm actually half Sephardic, meaning my mother's family are from uh, Morocco and Algeria. So we have a... Mix of uh, different Jewish sides. I, I I've said over and over again that if I was God, yeah, the only way a person can get into heaven, they will have to have visit Israel while on earth. Okay, if they didn't visit Israel, they couldn't get into heaven. I love Israel. I went there and it's, I walked through the Bible, saw this amazing stuff, and I grew up wanting to go to Israel. I finally had a chance to go. It was mind blowing. And so hopefully everybody in the world is going to chance to visit. Isn't that amazing? Yeah, I've been there. I have a lot of family there as well. Are you afraid because the Jews are under attack? Does that concern you right now? Uh, well, I have a lot of experience uh, in uh, Middle East affairs. I studied this. I made two films about Middle East politics and Islamism. And there's uh, certainly I've been concerned and made a film about it some years ago about how there's a general misunderstanding in the Western world and even in Israeli politics of the values and goals of the movement of Islamism in the Islamic world. And the misunderstanding of the goals of Islam and the values of Islam, uh, political values, uh, would lead to war. And that's what we saw happen in Gaza, because it was the Israeli leftist Jews in cahoots with American and uh, European politicians that had this brilliant idea that after the PLO was defeated and kicked out of Beirut and sent to Algeria, that they would rescue the PLO and bring them into Israel, into Gaza and the West Bank. And by giving these territories to these terrorist groups, that peace would break out in the Middle East. It was a very flawed idea. And immediately war broke out, and they've been fighting skirmishes ever since, and it blew up into this huge war we have now in Gaza. What a mess. I deviated. I'm sorry. When will Michelle, I appreciate that. I'm going to have you back with that, too. Sure. When will Michelle announce that she's running if she's going to announce, you think? I think Biden is going to go through the primary process, uh, which will last a couple more months. And I'm thinking in May, June, it's, look, it could go all the way to the convention. But at some point, I think uh, the people that put Biden, uh, you know, that covered up his crimes of his family and made sure he got in the White House, I think that uh, they have enough information on him. Don't forget he will be impeached by the House coming up. Hunter will have to be pardoned. There will be enough terrible things going on that they'll be able to tell Biden, you know, he's going to have to the better of the country not run again because Trump will win, which is what they're all saying now. They're kind of building that up. So I'm thinking in the spring or early summer we'll see Biden drop out. And as I said, that's when the Democrat National Committee will be able to choose uh, the nominee. What a mess. What a mess. That's right. (laughs) Let me take a quick break. And when I come back, I want you to, I have a couple other questions and I want you to tell the folks how to get your books, your okay. films, and everything. Thank you. All right. 888 7753 773. Quick break. Back in a moment. And I am going to get to all of your calls. <coughs> back in a moment. She knows she's still the boss.
You can't run from evil within yourself or outside of self. You got to deal with it. And you need good in order to deal with evil. And God is good. You need to return to the Father. And you'll see within you, he will fight the battle for you. And he will fight it without. Because he will show you how to deal with it. And you will have no fear. Love God with all your heart, all your soul, all your might, along with nothing else. Nothing else means yourself, your children, your wife, your things, your ego, your reputation, and all that. You can't care about any of that. The children of anger will use it to control you. But if you love God, he will renew your mind, and none of those things will be before him. And so when they go after you, oh, well, you may take my body, you may take my things, but you're not going to take my soul. And that's a true reality. Welcome back. Joel Gibbert is with me. He's a filmmaker, investigative, investigative journalist, and political commentary. And uh, um, we're talking about this. Michelle Obama in 2024. We're going to tell you how to get it. It is a must-see. Michelle, the rock of the Obama family. That's right. It's a must-see. I'm a little surprised because I didn't think to be honest, I didn't think Michelle would run because they already have one black female in there as vice president. And I didn't think that they could skip over her because um, whatever. But apparently it might happen. One of the things I want to ask you about, Joel, well, not more than, I mean, more than one. But um, it's been said that when Obama left the White House, he left a lot of the people that worked in his administration behind that they're still working behind there in the, in the government. Is that true? I believe it. I mean, he's had eight years in office. He filled up the Department of Justice, for example. He hired 1,000 lawyers from the SPLC. He filled it up with radical attorneys. Uh, he filled up so many positions over eight years, I think, such that when Trump got into office, he had trouble even if he uh, gave a directive, an executive order, people wouldn't carry it out. So Obama spent some time... Uh, doing what the radicals in the 60s, Obama's buddy, Bill Ayers from the Weather Underground. Yeah, I remember him. I remember him. I also show in my film, guess who Michelle's best buddy was in Chicago? It was none other than Bernadine Dorn, his, uh, his wife and also head of the Weather Underground, accused cop killer. Michelle worked with Bernadine Dorn for two years at the Sidley Austin Law Firm. And Michelle learned from uh, Bernadine Dorn all that anti-American rhetoric we heard from her in 2008, including the politics of fear. That's what Bernadine Dorn used to talk about in the 60s. She talked about how we're all afraid of each other and all of our policies come from this fear. Sure enough, Michelle was talking about the politics of fear. So the influence that these 60s radicals had on the Obamas cannot be uh, overstated. And uh, so in the 60s, they always talked about we're going to take over the country, but we have to be aware of the counter-revolution. We can take power, but they're going to come back. We have to be able to put them down. So I think Amazing. Obama, what he did is he spent eight years preparing that if they ever lost power, they'd be able to take it back. And that's how I think they look at the Trump years. They look at it as, well, the, there was a counter-revolution, and we were able to fight it off. Uh, so that's what they're doing. Uh, look, Michelle is very political. People don't understand how political she is. Charles Ogletree was a Harvard law professor who taught both Michelle and Barack in different years. And he said between Michelle and Barack, he would have thought it would be Michelle to run for president, not Barack. <laughs> Amazing. Uh, Michelle's father was a precinct captain in Chicago. 
Her father's a politician. He had a patronage job. That's one of these cushy jobs that the Democrat elite give people to do their politics for them. He was a water inspector. So her father would show up at the water department and say, oh, that looks good. And he'd go home and, and do politicking. So Michelle was politicking with her father from four years old. She also grew up in Jesse Jackson's house. People don't know that because she was best friends with his daughter, Santita. So she used to be in his house all the time when he was running for president. So Michelle started in politics about 20 years before Barack did. And that's what you learn about in my film. Why can't uh, – two questions about that. Uh, number one, why do these people hate America so much? I would think that every human being in America – would want to make it better, add to it, build up on the goodness of America. Why do they want to destroy it? It's a flawed ideology. They hold America up against, they judge America instead of against the rest of the world. They judge America against the perfect world, the perfect utopia. I made a film called There's No Place Like Utopia some years back. And that's the socialist kind of communist ideal. They want the perfect world. And they say, well, America is not perfect, so we need to destroy it to rebuild the perfect society. So they look at middle America, for example, middle class America that goes to church and has a couple of kids and uh, pays their taxes. They say, well, middle America is what supports the capitalist system. It wouldn't exist without these people. So they make the middle class their enemy. They want to destroy the economy. They want to destroy families. They want to destroy everything because in their minds they want to build this perfect society that we know from history actually never works out. Right. When you try to save 100 million people like the, the Soviets did and Pol Pot and Mao, you end up murdering 100 million people. That's amazing. Um, I want to play something for you and get your response to before you leave here. Sure. Uh, this is uh, on X, formerly known as uh, Twitter. Tucker Carson said February 16, 2016, that's the day Donald Trump made a blood enemy of the federal government. Watch this from CBS. The Iraq war and your opposition to it was a sign of your good judgment. In 2008, in an interview with Wolf Blitzer talking about President George W. Bush's conduct of the war, you said you were surprised that Democratic leader Nancy Pelosi didn't try to impeach him. You said, quote, which personally I think would have been a wonderful thing. Obviously, the war in Iraq was a big, fat mistake, all right? Now, you can take it any way you want. The war in Iraq, we spent $2 trillion, thousands of lives. We don't even have it. Iran is taking over Iraq with the second largest oil reserves in the world. Obviously, it was a mistake. So George Bush made a mistake. We so, can make mistakes, but that one was a beauty. We should have never been in Iraq. We have destabilized right. the Middle East. They lied. Okay. They said there were weapons of mass destruction. There were none, and they knew there were none. There were no weapons of mass destruction. Okay. Okay. Yeah, all right. Go. Governor Bush. <laughs> so did Donald Trump become the enemy of the federal government because he wasn't for wars? I think Especially that's that well. I think that's one reason he wasn't for open borders. Right. Uh, he wasn't for high taxes. I mean, all of his positions were kind of a a populist position of we the people, which ran and to this day runs in contrast to the elitist and the globalists that want to do their own thing. So yeah. that's why uh, Trump was the enemy of everyone who had those agendas in mind. That's amazing. You you know I call him the Great White Hope, right? No, I didn't know that. Oh man. I call Donald Trump the Great White Hope. Look at all my Trump stuff. Oh, fantastic. <laughs> Let me see what he has to say today. All right. They say, is Donald Trump an intellectual? Trust me, I'm like a smart person. <laughs> Amazing. Well, I would say what he often says, Trump says, you know what? It's just common sense. He said, look, I'm not some huge genius. It's, I'm just using common sense. Yep. And I think that does pervade most of his policies. Absolutely. So you supported the Great White Hope? I am supporting Trump. I think he's, right he's the person that can uh, you know, turn this stuff all around. Now, I think he's some of his weaknesses in the past has been he's good at firing people. I don't think he's done a great <laughs> job at hiring people when he was in office. Yeah. Uh, I think he has to improve on that. And uh, there's going to be a complete uh, – if he's reelected, there's going to be the entire deep state, federal government, bureaucracy, media com complex is going to fight him tooth and nail the entire time. Yeah. Uh, don't forget 
Biden has made such a mess of things, he's probably neutralized uh, the Trump's term if he wins because he'll have to spend several years just trying to fix what Biden did. I know. What a mess, huh? Yeah. I never imagined that America would be in such a mess that it's in right now with the illegal aliens, with the, the division of the races. They have us more divided than any other time. And it's just a mess. Well, this really started with Obama. I mean, Obama brought on this uh, racial politics, I think, as a way to get power because uh, uh, blacks and whites were the, – the polls were showing about 70 percent when Obama was elected. Seventy percent of both blacks and whites thought race relations were good. I grew up in the 70s in Tennessee, in East Tennessee. Black and white kids were all together. There were no racial problems yeah. whatsoever. But then Obama got into office and he started using race – uh, to divide us and to keep power. Don't forget the big event was uh, when Obama was trying to get reelected. It wasn't really sure that the black community would come out again because things had gotten worse for them. Right. And that's when he picked up on the George Zimmerman, Trayvon Martin case in Florida to inflame the black community. Uh, Obama came in and said, if I had a son, he looked like Trayvon. <laughs> and he sent Al Sharpton down there and they, the whole federal government got behind this whole narrative to inflame black voters emotionally. Now, I actually made a film about that a few years ago where right. I investigated. I found out that the, the key witness, Rachel Gentel, the chubby Haitian girl that was— Oh, that fat black girl. Right. She was two years older and 200 pounds heavier than Trayvon. Yeah. And she said she was his girlfriend and was on the phone with him before he died. I found out that wasn't his girlfriend. That was a different girl named Diamond Eugene. And they faked that witness. That was a fake witness they used to get Zimmerman arrested. And Black Lives Matter started because of that. And it's a whole story that you can learn about called the Trayvon hoax. What a mess. I grew up in Alabama uh, under the so-called Jim Crow law. Right. You ever picked cotton? No. You have not lived until you picked cotton. So what I plan to do is buy a plantation down there and bring all the blacks back there. So I can teach them to work and be responsible and stop blaming the white man and uh-huh. and think for themselves as individuals and not blacks. Okay. Don't, you know, get away from the color thing yeah. and things will get better. But in growing up down there, black people and white people treated each other for the most part the way they would like to be treated. Yeah. The blacks were more independent. They had families. They bought land. They were free-thinking people. They didn't have some black leader over them. And I, I I can't get past, I mean, though I understand it, I can't get past this idea of not thinking for yourself. And most blacks don't think for themselves. Well, it, it's, uh, we talked about it earlier. It's the, the politicians, Barack and Michelle Obama, were so insecure in their blackness because both of them had no experiences with the black community. They right. were both rejected by the black community. Barack had no black friends growing up. His friends in college were Pakistanis. But he wanted to be in politics, and he understood he needed that core group of black voters to support him. So he would use race and racism to inflame them. Michelle Obama, ironically, has the same problem. She was never part of the black community. The kids beat her up and called her an Oreo for acting and talking white. She abused them and exploited them in her career to make money. So they're both so insecure, they both rely on using uh, racial innuendos to try to endear themselves because there is this thing in the black community where if you believe that America is not racist, you're kind of not authentically black. Yeah. And the more, the more you believe that whites are racist and America is racist, the more you are authentically black. Yeah. So to get street cred, the Obamas realize we have to claim racism even though they were the ones – Michelle was the ones <laughs> who was the most racist toward black people for her uh, exploitation Amazing. of them. I don't believe race. I know racism does not exist. It's a, it's a battle between good and evil, right versus wrong. You're either on the side of evil or good. It's a spiritual battle. It's not racism at all. And that's one thing I want all people to understand, but especially the blacks. The word racism is just made up to deceive them. Either you're on the side of good or evil. It has nothing to do with color. Well, I'll agree with that. I mean, just think how silly it is. I mean, here, I grew up in the 70s in East Tennessee, a small town. Black and white kids were all friends, even to this day. Uh, So the idea that because of the color of your skin that someone might like you or dislike you, at that time we believed and still believe in, in Martin Luther King's concept that you judge a person by the strength of their character. The idea that today, you know, 40 years later, 50 years later, that 
people are talking about skin color yeah. being the defining reason <laughs> to hire someone for a job or promote them or see them on TV uh, is it, just absurd to us. I was on a plane the, the other, uh, last week. I had to go to Texas. And when I got on the plane, I saw this black female pilot come out of the cockpit. Was, <laughs> like, was it United Airlines? It was uh, Delta. Delta, okay. I'm like, what the? And I'm like, I asked the flight attendant, is that a black, is she a pilot? Yeah. And she's like, yeah. I'm like, is she like, is she affirmative action? And then I found out that there was a white male pilot in there with her. I felt a little better. Well, look, the whole DEI thing has divided us because it causes us to doubt situations. Yes. If we didn't have DEI and you saw a two black pilots, you'd feel fine. That's right. But because of DEI, it creates this doubt. Well, why is that person there uh, controlling this airplane? (laughs) I know, especially United Airlines said that they have too many white pilots. So that tells you that they're going to recruit minorities and promote them and lower their standards in order to achieve those DEI goals. So it creates this uh, division in society unnecessarily. And plus, hardly a day goes by now where you don't hear some near miss flight airplane thing doors falling off it's a mess and so what are you to think knowing that they're hurting people because of their color and gender in all the certain everything started going bad in the sky what do you what do they expect you to think yeah look like some jobs don't matter like they can say (laughs) uh kareen jean pierre she's a black lesbian so she qualifies for uh press secretary and she can talk and she can sound silly and it kind of right, doesn't matter right or even a kamala harris uh, was definitely given the vice presidential nod because of her skin color not because she right. was a great politician uh but when you talk about flying airplanes That's a whole and, and uh putting the bolt on the door to make sure the door doesn't fl- come off in the middle of the flight then it's it's very consequential what a mess. You see my cotton sack? Did you know there was a cotton sack? Oh, what's that for? Picking cotton. Oh, no kidding. All it's right. from the good old days. No kidding. Amazing. Interesting. You have never seen one, huh? No. Wow. I can't imagine living in America never even seeing a cotton sack. Never saw one. Those are the good old days. Amazing. You know what? I, I am told I've kept you longer than I know you plan or I plan to have no it. No problem. But it's been fun. Yeah. And so tell the people how, you know. Oh, first let me ask. You're such a good um, producer. Really, really amazing kind of work you do. Have you been attacked? How, how's that going for you? I've had issues over the years. I'm pretty well known for a film called Dreams for My Real Father that yeah. came out with in 2012 where I made the case that uh, Barack Obama, he was actually raised by an American communist named Frank Marshall Davis in Hawaii. And this guy was a communist ideologue. He was also a Soviet agent in the Cold War, and he raised Obama and radicalized him. And I made the case that Frank Marshall Davis was probably Obama's real biological father. <laughs> he looked just like him, and Obama, wow. looked, Obama looked nothing like the Kenyan Obama. So I made the case that uh, the Kenyan Obama was just kind of a cover story for the fact that his mother had an affair with this guy that ended up raising Obama for some reason. So at that time, I remember I was attacked by, uh, of course, MSNBC, BarackObama.com attacked me. Uh, the IRS denied all my business expenses. I had to go and get that change back. Wow. So I've had a, a few issues. Uh, you know, I got subpoenaed by uh, Robert Mueller. Uh, you know, so they don't like it when you expose what they're up to. How do you deal with challenges like that? How do you handle things when you're attacked? Well, in that case, I had my accountant would go and meet with the IRS and got that overturned. Uh, the uh, subpoena from the Robert Mueller gang. Uh, I actually told them I wasn't available when they wanted me to come, <laughs> and they ended up not rescheduling me, so I never actually testified. Oh, okay. So you just got to fight it. I mean, yeah. much as Donald Trump is doing, what are you going to do? You go and fight it and expose their, their corrupt cases. Amazing. So tell the folks how to get Ob- Michelle Obama 2024. Yeah, it's uh, your you, website you or whatever. MichelleObama24.com. You can see the movie trailer, and it's also a book version. MichelleObama24.com, and then you can live stream and watch the movie live on SalemNow.com or Amazon Prime Video, and then you can get the DVD version or the book version on Amazon.com. Amazing. Joel, thank you for coming in, man. I totally enjoyed talking to you. You're a smart guy. Well, we'll do it again. Amazing. (laughs) 
Thank you so much. Thanks man. a lot. I appreciate it. Eight 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 seven seven five three seven seven three. Check it out, folks. Let me know what you think. Let me hear from you about it. All right. Thank you. Let me go to the busy phones. Let me. Is it? Who is this on three? Raj. Raj, a first-time caller out of Florida. Uh, Raj, welcome to the show. You're on the air. Hey, thanks, Jesse. How you doing? All is well, sir. All is well, indeed. Um, I called with a couple of things. Um, you want to listen? I just finished the interview, uh, interview with the guy. Um, but uh, I wanted to ask, first and foremost, uh, I've been watching you for a little over a year now, and I've heard you say some things about the deity of Jesus and maybe him not being uh, God. So I just wanted to hear from the horse's mouth, what do you, how do you feel about Jesus and his deity, or if he is a God to you? You said, how do I feel about Jesus and his daddy? No, no, Jesus being God. Uh, how do you feel about his deity, oh, about him being God? What's a deity? What's a deity? A deity is just a, I guess, a fancy oh. nomenclature for God. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> so you don't really know what it means? No, I do know what it means. That's why I said it. That's why I used it. <laughs> so your question for me is what? I just wanted to know. Uh, I have another question after this as well. But um, okay, Jesus is the where son. Do you, where do you stand with Jesus? Is he God or is he not God? He is the son of God. There's a father yeah. and a son, and he is the uh-huh. son. And the Father dwells in the Son. So you don't you you don't think the Father is the Son, and the Son is the Father? He's a, he's How can the, the Father, father be the Son? How can the Father be the Son? That's God's that's God's power. He can so be, do he you have a daddy? Do you have a father? Of course. But is, is yeah, your father the Son too? My father is the Son. Yeah. Your father is your son. No, he. I said he is his son. No, he's not my he son. He is no. a son, but you uh-huh. are the son, and your father is the father, right? Right. But so why that's, don't you, that's a that is a logical way to say it. I understand. Well, that's a true way to. What do you think about that? But Jesus say out of his mouth. Hold on a minute. Hold on. Hold on. Right. What uh, do you think about that, Joel? I think Jesse, you're being very logical, and that's uh, the <laughs> correct idea, as you as you put it. Uh, they cannot be the same. Right. How come people think the Father is the Son when Jesus even said, my Father uh-huh. sent me, it's not me right. that's doing the work, but my Father that's in me, right. and greater work should y'all do that I'm doing, so don't be worshiping me. But yet the people made him to God. What a mess, huh? Go ahead. Can you hear me? I can. Go ahead. <laughs> okay, all right. Um, but Jesus also said the Father and I are one. Right, and then uh, also, also in another part, okay. okay let's deal with that first. He okay. said, sure. "The father and my daddy and I are one. <laughs> my daddy dwells daddy. in me, and he worked through me." <laughs> yeah, he said that because he he's showing them that he does the works of his father, what he has seen and witnessed. Um, and so, and if so you're doing the work of his father, right. If he made it clear, I'm doing the work of my father, why do you still think he was the father? Because he said the father and I are one, and that they shared glory before the earth was. Are you black? <laughs> yeah, I'm black. Oh, no wonder. Hold on. <laughs> <laughs> Hold on. Let me take a quick break. Two more hours to go. 888-775-3773. Back in a moment. Now, I totally disagree with the way things are going, but you can't be angry. Because that's what the enemy wants. He wants to control you. They do things to make you mad so they can control you. It's like being married. And the wife would do things to make you mad. Or she would do things to make you feel good. And men do that to women too when they want something from the woman, especially sex. They'll make her feel good or they'll make her angry. And the woman's going to have to say, you don't want to be angry. You want to speak up. You want to disagree with what's going on. It's wrong. But do not be angry. Then you won't have fear. You won't have doubt. You won't have worries. You'll be able to see. But you got to stay away from anger. That's why you must forgive your mothers and your fathers so that you can overcome the spirit of anger. It's a spirit and it's wicked. Nothing good in anger. Because it has no love, folks. You need love to defeat evil. And love is not a weakness. It's a strength. 
It's from God. It's his nature. A whole lot of mess going on in the world. This is the end of hour one already of Get It Off Your Chest Friday. It's uh, January 26th, A.D., 2024. JLP will be right back for hour two, right back to your calls. There is one line open. Hang tight, callers. But first, fake news, not fake news. Chin up, Tesla Kings. CNN reports shares in Tesla plunged as much as 12% on Thursday, wiping $80 billion off the company's market value hours after they warned of slowing growth in electric car sales in the face of intensifying competition from global rivals, if you believe in the globe, which I do. Uh, Tesla also recently lost the lead in global EV sales, electric vehicle sales, to Chinese automaker BYD, the globe here, the flat earth globe. BYD, get your BYD, the anti-white UN versus Israel. Kami, Nonsense Network, CNN reports the evil UN's silly International Court of Justice, or is am I wrong that it's I'm calling it silly, is expected to deliver their self-important ruling today on whether to enact provisional measures to suspend temporarily Israel's military campaign in Gaza. This comes after the anti-white South Africa of all countries, ironically, accused Israel of genocide in an unprecedented, meaning ridiculous, case of the so-called that the so-called court earlier this month. You may have heard about it. The country's leadership was intent on destroying Palestinians in Gaza, alleged South Africa. Israel has rejected the accusations, calling them false and grossly distorted. South Africa has asked the court to enforce provisional measures to protect the rights of Palestinians in Gaza from imminent and irreparable loss. The uh, measures would function as a uh, kind of restraining order to pause the conflict the Israel-Palestine war, while the full case progresses through the court, which could take years. What a joke. Doubt that it'll happen. I don't know how they're going to enforce it. I don't know. And Trump trial. Speaking of joke trials, Commie Nonsense Network CNN reports closing arguments begin today in Our Greatest President, Donald J. Trump's civil defamation trial to determine how much he will have to pay that writer slash silly gal E. Jean Carroll, whom you may have seen on American Anchor Baby yesterday. The former magazine columnist alleged without evidence that Trump R-worded her, aped Ray, raped her in a department store in the mid-1990s and then defamed her when he denied her claim. So she gets to defame him all she wants. Okay, you do the math. Woman world. In a separate trial last year, a so-called civil jury made the pretend finding that Trump sexually assaulted or sexually abused E. Jean Carroll and defamed her. Uh, She defamed herself, right? In 2022 statements, Trump briefly took the stand Thursday, yesterday, to deny the claims as he seeks to avoid a multi-million dollar joke of a jury verdict against him. He also sat to advance the narrative that he is a victim of a broad conspiracy designed to block his return to the White House and make it white on the inside again, rather than black and dark and evil on the inside. And also, they're trying to damage his personal and business reputation, he said. Sounds true to me. Meanwhile, in America, record fog in the USA. More than 90 million people across the United States impacted by dense fog yesterday, Thursday. Conditions likely persist in several cities today, so say forecasts. Fog this week stretched from the Canadian border to the Mexican border, reached as far as the northeast. Few alerts were also active along the west coast. Tuesday, Wednesday, and Thursday were nearly three of the foggiest days in terms of forecast zones covered in nearly two decades, said one meteorologist to CNN. The fog follows a week of severe weather featuring ice, snow, rain, and a dramatic warm-up for much of the country. The evaporation is overloading the air near the surface with moisture and creating thick fog that continues to lower visibility levels. Make sure you catch The Fallen State with Jesse Lee Peterson today. It's going to be a fun one. It's a white man, a a former judge. Right on. TheFallenState.tv. I'm James Hake. Now back to JLP.
Hour 2.